Hello, it's Snake Brown, Global Health Commissioning Editor for ADC. I'm really pleased to welcome a colleague and good friend from Aga Khan University, Asad Mian. Asad's Associate Professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine, Pediatrics and Child Health. But that title really underplays what other activities involved with there. He's the initiator of the AKU Critical Creative and Innovative Thinking Group. Asad, welcome. Thank you. For those uh, who aren't aware of the CCIT philosophy, I wonder whether you could give me a little bit of the background to the ideas and, and the main spokes to the CCIT and what you do at AKU. Let, let me um, delve a bit into my personal history because I think that kind of ties into uh, answering uh, your question. So um, I've moved, I moved back to Karachi about four years ago. Uh, prior to that, I had been um, uh, training uh, in pediatrics and then I practiced pediatric emergency medicine um, in, in the U.S. And once I relocated to Karachi about four years back, I found the way that I was practicing medicine over here uh, pretty different from what my um, parents had been in, in the U.S. So coming from a, from a high-resource, high-income setting to a low-resource, low-income, uh, low-to-middle-income country setting. And so I had to work within certain uh, restrictions. Um, um, and so that kind of got me a bit frustrated about uh, practicing clinical medicine over here. Uh, at the same time, I kind of felt that there weren't uh, as many avenues to discuss uh, my frustrations and potential ideas or solutions to some of those problems with uh, with my colleagues uh, that I was working with um, in Karachi. Um, and I happened to come across uh, two medical students. They were finally a medical students, and we got into discussing um, um, our um, frustrations uh, with medicine, and they obviously had uh, been uh, part of our university uh, students, and several uh, shared interests, and we then came up with the idea of a platform which we call Critical Creative Innovative Thinking, CCIT, that you referred to. And uh, to begin with, it was meant to be just a platform where people could share their uh, creative thoughts um, or innovative thoughts, and uh, we didn't really distinguish between creativity and innovation at the get-go. Um, but the only thing of relevance that we wanted people to uh, bring to the platform was that uh, the ideas had to be relevant to biomedicine or healthcare, with a particular reference to low-middle-income countries. When we started discussing um, the ideas and what we could do, and then we had a first Ignite session the following year, in about a year later, actually, because it took us about a year just to kind of think about how we could roll out this particular platform. And um, frustration of working in uh, a resource-limited fashion and then having ideas as to how we could um, uh, circumvent those problems, uh, coming up with a platform where we could safely, openly discuss these ideas without necessarily feeling that we need, needed to have uh, evidence for what we were talking about. Yeah, no, that's very clear. You mentioned Ignite there, and it's one of the three main spokes um, of the CCIT that you, you discuss in, in the paper. I wonder whether you could expand on each of them. So in Pakistan, we're probably the first people or first group in any, any medical institution to uh, run these initiatives. But they've, uh, they've been taking place in other uh, places in other countries. Uh, so my experience of uh, these was in the U.S. So the first IGNITE talk that I had been to was uh, at, the, at the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine. It was the annual conference in Dallas. Just to, just to kind of bring you up to speed, IGNITE is a, is a time-sensitive platform. So in, in five minutes, you're supposed to present your idea. It could be a creative uh, or innovative proposal, 
something that you've been working on or something that you uh, are intending to delve into. Um, the only caveat for our Ignite platform at AKU was that the idea had to be relevant to biomedicine and healthcare and making it relevant to low-resource settings. So we, did, we had the first Ignite uh, event uh, in 2014, September 2014, and it was kept broad-based, anything that was relevant to biomedicine uh, or healthcare, and we had 10 people, 10 igniters, quote-unquote, and they, since then we've had four more sessions. So we've had a total of five Ignite sessions over the past three years, I believe, and uh, the most recent one, which was in November of last year, was subject specific. So from, from going to a generic biomedical or healthcare area, we delved entirely into mind and brain issues. So neuroscience, neurology, neurobiology, psychiatry, psychology, even philosophy. So we let people uh, send, us, send in abstracts, and then we train them in the process of igniting in five minutes because um, there are 20 slides, and each slide auto-forwards in 15 seconds, so that's a total of five minutes. You have absolutely no control uh, on, on, on the slides. So it gives you, um, it kind of um, restricts you. You can't say things extempore. You've got to prepare your script, and you've got to have a very clear message that you give out in those five minutes. And we felt that the audience gets energized, um, galvanized by just those short, brief five-minute talks, even if they're delving entirely into biomedicine and healthcare. Sure. I mean, having, having contributed to one of the sessions um, when I, I spoke about dogma, which was one of my personal bugbears, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. What happens to the ideas after the Ignite session? Long-term objective is not that we uh, facilitate each and every idea that has been ignited to get to a, um, some form of innovation if it hasn't been put together as a project. Um, we just want this platform to be available to people so that they can just share ideas. Um, what happens with the ideas is not something that we are um, exactly concerning ourselves with. However, uh, there have been, out of like five Ignites, we've had probably around close to 50 people who've uh, presented their ideas, uh, innovations, and so on. Um, two or three of them have been taken forward by the igniters, and they've put together research projects as well as innovations around them. Yeah, and there are two other uh, spokes you, you, you mentioned in the paper, the hackathon and the narrative medicine. I wonder whether you could touch briefly on those. So a hackathon simply is a, is, it's an interdisciplinary platform for problem solving in real time. Um, uh, what typically happens at a hackathon or a medical hackathon, um, I should say, is that uh, people come together for about two to two and a half days, and uh, it tends to happen over a weekend uh, so that people can clear up their schedules as well. And uh, they come together in teams, as I mentioned, and then they uh, go through a process of problem pitching, and they identify certain problem or pain points. Uh, it could be relevant to a particular field. For example, the hackathon that we discussed in the paper was um, the emergency medicine hackathon that we had uh, back in August of 2016. That was last year. And that was the first hackathon. And uh, so, so people presented uh, actual problem areas that they felt, uh, not just with the ER at AKU, anywhere uh, within an ED setting in Pakistan, because people came from other places, other cities, uh, other than Karachi as well. And then they organically formed teams, and then the teams started coming up with actual innovative proposals that would solve particular problems. On day two, they continued working towards the innovations, and by the end of day two, evening of day two, they would either have a process, or uh, if they were working on a process uh, re-engineering, or if they were working on an app, they would develop a prototype, um, even if it's a screenshot of an app, 
if they were working on a device, they could come up with a, with, with a, with a prototype of a device. And on day three, uh, all the teams came back and then they presented their ideas. Um, and then we had a jury of uh, six people, interdisciplinary professionals, not just medicine, also IT, business, and so on. And then they would pick the winning teams. Um, so roughly like three winning ideas out of uh, 13 to 18, depending on which hackathon we're talking about. We've had two hackathons at AQ. And what sort of ideas stood out? One that we've discussed in the paper, I, uh, well, we've discussed three, but one was particularly relevant to pediatric medicine in low-middle-income countries, and so this was the breath hacks device. Uh, the problem pitch was that in uh, government-run institutions, uh, pediatric institutions in, in Karachi, for instance, um, there are not enough resources, and so if a child uh, deteriorates and, uh, and needs to be intubated, then they don't have vents in the ED. Uh, they don't even have vents in the ICUs. So what do you do if a child gets intubated and then the, then the patient has to be bagged with an AMBU bag? So the, the, the team then developed a prototype, which, would, uh, be, uh, which was an electronic device that would automate the hand for the AMBU bag. So instead of the parent bagging the child, which actually is a real case scenario, this electronic device would take care of that and would then automate the process. Um, this wasn't uh, a, a low, uh, low resource ventilator, or it was just automating the manual bagging aspect of it. And that particular uh, winning idea of the hackathon um, was picked up uh, for the, by the hospital itself and the eHealth Resource Center. Um, of the of the hospital and and the team is being incubated in house at AKU. Um, it's a slow process because we are learning the specs of incubation. So um, innovation and incubation, I believe that's a co co shared space, and we are demonstrating the specs of developing all of this along that spectrum: innovation, incubation, and there's a lot of crosstalk between these two, and then acceleration. Um, hopefully, at some stage, we'll be getting to that as well. So that's one example among several that have come out of two hackathons we've had at AKU. Even the second one that we did, HackPeds, very relevant to pediatrics, pediatric medicine, pediatric innovation. And main aspect or main, main objective of that was to come up with designs for the new children's hospital at AKU that we're envisioning over the next five plus years. Um, and that was also very exciting, different kind of a hackathon, different from the first hackathon that we had last year. Yeah, and the, na the narrative medicine, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Okay, so um, the, we've focused more on the creative writing aspect of nar narrative medicine. So narrative, basically, it's a story, right? So telling a story um, about a patient encounter, the doctor's aspect or the nurse's aspect or the medical student's aspect of things, um, their frustration with a particular encounter or what the learning was. Um, this leads to, and it's been demonstrated in um, medical literature as well, that um, this helps build up empathy and compassion among our uh, healthcare professionals. It also allows the patient to get a voice uh, from a different perspective. So th these are, we're not talking about case reports or case series or, or ori original research work. We're talking about, uh, some people say it's soft science. I think it's gone past the soft science. Um, there is a lot of science involved in narrative medicine now, uh, but it helps people build up empathy and compassion in a very methodical manner. Um, we haven't delved into the specs of narrative medicine from an academic perspe perspective, but we were um, encouraging people to work on the creative writing aspect, the reflective uh, writing aspect of this. And um, 
we've done um, various workshops in which we've invited uh, uh, both medical professionals as well as uh, non-medical folks who are interested in writing, and then uh, we've given them the exercise to write about patient encounters. If they're non-medical people, then they can either um, write about a medical encounter that if they were a patient or a family member, a loved one was a patient, and what their frustration was about a, a medical encounter, and so on and so forth. So uh, then a lot of those uh, me medical narratives were put uh, on a blog, and in, in the paper that we're discussing, uh, in, the, in the section that, uh, for narrative medicine, uh, the, the two dialogue boxes that are delving into just two out of 26, I believe, narratives that uh, were published on that blog. Um, several, of, uh, uh, several narratives also made their way into biomedical journals in their perspectives or their reflection sections. So they're journals that actually allow narrative publication as well. Sure. I mean, to my mind, these are all absolutely brilliant ideas and a, and a, and a breath of fresh air. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, how, how could this be incorporated into the, both the undergrad and postgrad curricula? Um, it's so far ahead of traditional medical school and clinical teaching that it's, um, I see it as essential that, that people are encouraged or, or even taught to think laterally. Have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, we, yeah, so that's a great question, and it's a million-dollar question, and we need a lot of funding, academic uh, research kind of, uh, kind of funding to help us like, really um, start incorporating um, some of these things into, into medical curricula, whether it's at the undergraduate level or the postgraduate level, because, or nursing school even, right? So we're talking about interdisciplinary platforms, so why leave out the nursing students out of this? Um, so we work towards the benefit, or at least we think that we are kind of helping all students uh, who are within the medical professions or health professions. Uh, in the U.S., several programs exist, um, and these are very academic, didactic programs in narrative medicine and in medical innovation on healthcare entrepreneurship for medical students. These are very formalized programs now. Um, pretty much all major, even uh, middle-tier medical schools in the U.S. now have and encourage uh, the students to delve into creativity and innovation in biomedicine and healthcare. Um, so why not in Pakistan? And so I think the AKU uh, platform, um, um, I've got to uh, give credit to the AKU leadership that they have given us this platform to delve into. Uh, they, in fact, have, give, uh, have provided a budget for uh, um, all the activities that I've mentioned, Ignite sessions, hackathons, narrative medicine workshops, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, all of the funding hasn't come out of a research grant. It's come out of the organization that feels the importance of this and is willing to work with us. It is a long process to start incorporating them, uh, the, these initiatives into existing medical curricula. That will take time because we're not part of existing curricular committees, and they tend to be more traditional in their approach, whereas we're talking about a bottom-up approach. It's more of a grassroots approach, I think, the way we're looking at instilling creativity and innovation. Um, we're letting people feel very comfortable and feel safe in that environment. When we talk about formalizing the process, then we are putting in more and more dashboards and metrics and how do we gauge the outcomes and it takes away from the creativity and the innovation aspect of things as well. We are less likely to be creative and innovative when we are completely you know, pursuing evidence-based. Right? So, so 
chicken versus the egg. So, I mean, what do we do? I, I guess it's a great debate. It's worth having. Um, and we're, we're really uh, delving into it. Yeah, very exciting. And it, AKU is clearly ahead of the game on this and been very forward-thinking in, in, in helping promote this. I could talk all day about this, Assad, um, but I, I really hope that the podcast has, has stimulated people to think about this and ways in which it can be incorporated in their own institutions any, anywhere in the world. Um, let, let's follow through on this at some point and maybe get another paper out at, at some point in the future. Thanks very much for today. Can I, can I um, say one thing? Any of these initiatives that are open to people to give us feedback on, um, if they've listened to the podcast, they can share ideas with us. I mean, the Ignite sessions have been open to people from outside of AQ. And um, so I think we've kind of opened up this platform and, um, and it probably um, helps everybody work towards betterment of uh, global child health, if I may. I agree. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, thanks for joining us. And for anyone listening, interested in hearing more and learning more, the podcast will be available on the ADC website in parallel with the paper.